Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a good episode. I'm picking up Spooner's fantastic essay, A Letter to Grover Cleveland again. We're still talking about the Ninth Amendment, how critical it is, and this part goes over the Constitution, the Ninth Amendment, and how obviously phony the con-con version of the holiness of the document is exposed horribly by Spooner in this essay, in this section. And I just really, it's such an important area. And for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I tell them the truth. And the truth is, I was a constitutional conservative for years and years and years, and I believed all the fantasies about the Constitution, the brilliance, and the founders, and all the other stupid crap. And then about 25 years ago, I got the Internet. And in fairly short order, I started figuring out that it was a complete and total scam, and I'd just been hoodwinked, fooled, tricked to keep me on a tax-paying plantation defending my abuser. And when I figured that out, I became self-certified as a master practitioner. And I've given myself a Lifetime Achievement Award for the fantastic work I've done on this podcast, telling people the truth. I also awarded myself the Presidential Medal of Freedom for the incredible job I did in Jones Plantation as Mr. Jones and uh, helping on that script. And I hope people go to jonesplantationfilm.com and buy that movie, watch that movie, buy some merchandise, get a gift certificate, support that film. It's a movie about freedom, tells the truth about our system. I hope people support that movie. And I like to make fun of ridiculous credentials and give myself fake awards because I think everybody should do it to mock credentials and awards because all those things are is a way to control the people and to brainwash them with what is supposedly official information that you must know and must learn in order to be licensed or be certified or keep your registration active. And if you refuse or fail or step out of line, then they simply give you licensing problems and steal your ability to make a living. So I like to point it out and mock it. And that's the reason I do all that. Okay, enough of that. Let's go ahead and get the show going. So I'm going to continue Spooner's essay, A Letter to Grover Cleveland. Fantastic essay written in 1880. So incredibly important. We are talking about the section where the Ninth and Tenth Amendment are discussed. And we're coming up to some parts really near the end of the essay. But he provides a tremendous amount of additional historical perspective that people don't get. And all you're ever told about is going and reading Madison's notes and the stupid Federalist papers. They act like you have to dig into all this detail. You really don't need to do that. There's so many great arguments about the Constitution and consent and any possible uh, legally binding effect that require absolutely no research at all. But this part of his essay... It's so fascinating because it really does frame up in the smallest little way the complete opposite view of the nonsense you're fed night and day from constitutional conservatives about the glory and the magnificence of the document and the way the people love it and the Constitution's a freedom machine. Everybody voted for it, wanted it. They all, of course, constantly just ignore the Articles of Confederation, which is what we got after the Revolutionary War. So they love to tie the Constitution in 1776, but really they aren't tied at all. And the way we got the Constitution was incredibly scammed up. And the Articles of Confederation were incredibly decentralized, and the government had almost no power. 
And that's what the people actually chose. And instead, you always get these lies about how Washington could have been king if he wanted. He was so popular. This is just all bullshit. This is the idea that Joe Biden got 81 million votes, that Barack Obama is a fantastic uniter, that these people are loved. And they're not loved. They weren't loved at the time. And any review of history that's in any way objective will show you that. But I think this part of the essay is incredibly important, even though it's got a lot of detail that people may say, oh, boring, move on, you're giving commentary. I have no idea if they will or won't be interested in that, but I think it's overwhelming evidence and proof of the stuff he's already saying about the Ninth Amendment. And the purpose of his discussion about the Ninth Amendment, which basically just says, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And it sounds like a kind of innocuous thing, but really when you understand natural law and the purpose behind it and the way it got put in after all those other amendments, the first eight, then they throw the ninth and tenth in as catch-alls to say basically, look, just because we didn't set it out here in one of these other eight amendments, it doesn't mean they're not reserved. And the Tenth Amendment basically just is a catch-all for the state's powers, saying that, look, everything that wasn't specifically given to the federal government is retained by the states. And so those two together basically create this sort of natural law that the people would have been very, very well aware of. Certainly the so-called public men of the time, meaning the educated landowning people who were the only people who could vote. It wasn't like today where every Tom, Dick and Harry, every joker, every wino, every lunatic, every drug addict, every illegal, anybody that can scribble something down gets the so-called vote. It's all equal. These were people who were much, much, much better educated than the average voter today. And they all had skin in the game because they were all landowners. So they were all paying taxes, unlike today, where the bottom half of the people, they don't even pay any taxes at all in the income tax. Yeah, they pay this so-called Medicare, Medicaid crap, but they don't pay income tax. And so the whole thing is a complete joke, and there's absolutely no correlation between the situation back then and today, but the point being that the Ninth Amendment just made it such that, look, the government can't have all these implied power the Supreme Court found. And in Gibbons v. Ogden, the court, through the august Justice Marshall, just dreamed up this utter nonsense about how there's plenary power this and broad that, and that they have all these automatic things, and it's unquestioned that. <laughs> and from there, it's been over. It's been over. And that's why his discussion of the Ninth Amendment is so important, because there is no discussion of the Ninth Amendment out in the courts or in public. And I showed you how modern so-called scholars, the men who are such incredible conservatives like Bork and Scalia, basically just read the Ninth Amendment out. Because if you read the Ninth Amendment in the only way it can actually be read, to give it any legal impact, the federal government has very, very little authority, very little authority, because it's all been retained by the people in the states. And that's all been read out by the Supreme Court, who works for the federal government that wants to become more powerful. So it is an absolute joke the way it's put together. And the fraud that's been pushed onto the people is fantastic. And Spooner's essay in this area is one of the best areas I've ever read in any kind of essay or expose of what's going on with the Ninth and Tenth Amendment that just shows how to complete fraud all the con-con stuff is. So I want to read a little bit of what we were talking about before, again, to set the table for what we're going to talk about here in this episode. 
This amendment, meaning the ninth, from the remarkable circumstances under which it was proposed and adopted, must have made an impression upon the minds of all the public men of the time. Although they may not have fully comprehended and doubtless did not fully comprehend its sweeping effects upon all the supposed powers of the government. This is very, very true. We talked about last time. But whatever impression it may have made upon the public men of that time, its authority and power were wholly lost upon the successors and probably for at least 80 years and has never been heard of either in Congress or the courts. Meaning that since 1800 on, it's never been heard of. In other words, the entire history of the country, because he was writing in 1880. And of course, it's been absolutely read out since then as well. It's just totally ignored. These things are all totally ignored. They have to be, because otherwise the federal government could not have ever grown into the monolith it is. And of course, he's writing after the Civil War. Under the Civil War, it was the end. Whatever the Constitution was, whatever limitations there ever were on the federal government, those are all completely gone after the Civil War. Totally impossible to have a Civil War to hold a voluntary union together with a limited government. It's ludicrous on its face. but of the con-cons are huge supporters of Lincoln. So let's pick it up from there. John Marshall was perfectly familiar with all the circumstances under which this and the other nine amendments were proposed and adopted. He was 32 years old, lacking seven days, when the Constitution, as originally framed, was published in September of 1787. And he was a member of the Virginia Convention that ratified it. <laughs> you like this? I mean, this is the kind of nepotism and inbred fantasy where the whole thing was a scam from the get-go. They place these people in positions of power to screw us all, guys. He knew perfectly the objections that were raised to it in that convention on the ground of its inadequate guarantee of men's natural rights. He knew with what force these objections were urged by some of the ablest members of the convention. And he knew that to obviate these objections, the convention as a body without a dissenting voice, so far as appears, recommended that very stringent amendments for securing men's natural rights be made to the Constitution. And he knew further that, but for these amendments being recommended, the Constitution would not have been adopted by the Convention. <laughs> Think how damning that is. Just think how damning that is to the way Marshall conducted himself and all the different bullshit that guy jammed through. He knew damn well that what he was saying was not true. It wasn't true at the time of the ratification. It wasn't true when he wrote it. And everybody who was around him knew it was all just a pack of lies. Think about the way the government operates. It's all just a pack of lies all the time that you can observe. But the people are convinced they're given this fairy tale that somehow before, earlier, prior to Obama, prior to Clinton, prior to <laughs> name it, it was this fantastic freedom machine and we're losing it. It's been a scam since day one. See, there's never been a time when it didn't operate as this criminal enterprise. Marshall was well aware. The people around him were well aware. The people who praised him were well aware. They were all a bunch of big government spies. That's why the original 13th Amendment, people can go investigate. 
that always wiped off the books in the War of 1812 made it clear that all these people who were sneaking around basically as spies for the crown, big government spies for the crown, they were barred from having any position in government. They buried that one a long time ago. People want to go investigate it. You can just do a search on the original 13th Amendment. You'll pull it up. People have written books. There's all sorts of stuff. It was in the West Point educational materials all the way through like 1850s or 60s. <laughs> and then they claim it was an accident and shouldn't have been in there. It's all bullshit. It's all the same kind of stuff they always give. Go look it up. You'll see all this stuff has been a scam for a very, very, very long time. So it's all been a scam. You can read plutocracy and something in America from like 1880 to 1920. Again, written by a congressman from, I think, Montana or something. Pretty famous book. It tells you all about the corruption. This idea that it's just become corrupt and there was this fairy tale fantasy time of fantasticness of the government with the freedom and the limited... It's all bullshit, people. It's been growing and growing and growing and growing since day one. That's all. The system's the same. We're just in the end game now. But that is just, to me, is so damning. The guy was at the convention. <laughs> he knows. Let's continue. The amendments proposed were too numerous to be repeated here, although they would be very instructive as showing how jealous the people were lest their natural rights should be invaded by laws made by Congress and that the convention might do everything in its power to secure the adoption of these amendments. It resolved as follows. And the convention do, in the name and behalf of the people of this commonwealth, enjoin it upon their representatives in Congress to exert all their influence and use all reasonable and legal methods to obtain a ratification of the foregoing alterations and provisions in the manner provided by the fifth article of the said Constitution and in all congressional laws to be passed in the meantime, to conform to the spirit of these amendments as far as the said Constitution will admit. Got it? So, and he's going to go through a bunch of additional evidence in this area. But the Virginia Convention passed that. Look at what he said in there. Look at that. That they knew this. And then Marshall turns around and basically issues these opinions where the government just has all the power. The people have no rights and the government just has all this plenary power. He knows that's not the case. But he sits for life. Nothing can happen to him. He's got a pension. He's up there making a name for himself and spreading and growing the power of government. Let's listen to some more of the evidence that Spooner brings up. In seven other state conventions, to wit, in those of Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, New York, Maryland, North Carolina, and South Carolina, the inadequate security for men's natural rights and the necessity for amendments were admitted and insisted upon in the very similar terms to those in Virginia. You like that? How many people know about all this? It's brushed over as though these amendments were this fantastic thing in addition and more freedom. No, they had to be put in there for a reason because the people didn't trust the government. And what's happened is exactly what the anti-federalists feared, that they would be used and abused in all these different ways and the government's power would be grown and the limitations they would be pointed to as though they were limitations. Well, the limitations were specifically addressed by the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment, then guess what? The Supreme Court has read it out, basically just saying that it means nothing. <laughs> so exactly everything the people feared, and the few who got to vote feared, has happened. Told people again and again and again. We have the world's largest government by orders of magnitude so many times, supposedly balanced on the head of this document that only created this limited government. 
that the people are in charge of. It's completely ludicrous. So let's look at some of this other evidence he pulls up, which he just cites. In Massachusetts, the convention proposed nine amendments to the Constitution resolved as follows. And the convention do in the name and behalf of the people of this commonwealth and join it upon the representatives in Congress and at all times until the alterations and provisions aforesaid have been considered agreeable to the fifth article of said Constitution to exert all their influence and use all reasonable and legal methods to obtain a ratification of said alterations and provisions in such manner as is provided for in the said articles. Again, he's citing Eliot's debates. All of them are the same. See, all of them are the same. They insist that the convention approves of it, but is enjoining their representatives to insist on these alterations and amendments and to make sure that all the laws are passed in the meantime. Prior to that, all comply with them as much as possible. He cites the ones from New Hampshire, exactly the same language, same Eliot's debates. He cites the one from Rhode Island Convention. He says this about it. The Rhode Island Convention, in ratifying the Constitution, put forth the Declaration of Rights in 18 articles and also proposed 21 amendments to the Constitution. (laughs) Rhode Island was, of course, the last people. They strong-armed them in. They basically just started blackmailing them and screwing them since they wouldn't agree. Here's what Rhode Island said. And the Convention do, in the name of the behalf of the people of the state of Rhode Island and the Providence Plantations, enjoin it upon their senators and representatives which may be elected to represent this state in Congress to exert all their influence and use all reasonable means to obtain a ratification of the following amendments to the said Constitution in the manner prescribed therein, and in all laws be passed by the Congress in the meantime to conform to the spirit of the said amendments. Again, they have all these different articles and amendments they proposed, and they still got strong-armed into it. (laughs) New York Convention. Proposed a great many amendments and added, and the convention do in the name and behalf of the people of the state of New York and join it upon the representatives and Congress to exert all their influence, use all reasonable means, etc., etc., etc. Exact same language. <laughs> you like that? I mean, it's just obvious as hell what's happening here. And once you see this kind of perspective and you understand the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, they've been completely ignored, and you understand all those contract interpretation rules I gave you that whatever the court's doing, it's been a fraud for a very long time. And the idea that this is a freedom machine is a complete and total joke. Hey, no. I can hear my cat back there. He's upset. He's very upset. He's not a fan of the Constitution. (laughs) This is something that I'd never heard of. This next thing that Spooner brings up, it's called a circular letter. And that was circulated from the state of New York Convention to the governors of the several states of the union. In other words, this convention released this sort of letter to the editor kind of thing. They sent it to all the governors in the uh, union at that time. And it was uh, dated July 28, 1788. And it's absolutely fascinating. I'm going to read some of it. Sir, we, the members of the convention of the state, meaning New York, have deliberately and maturely considered the constitution proposed for the United States. Several articles in it appear so exceptional to a majority of us that nothing but the fullest confidence of obtaining a revision of them by a general convention and an invincible reluctance to separating from our sister states could have prevailed upon a sufficient number to ratify it. Without stipulating for previous amendments, we all unite in opinion that such a revision will be necessary to recommend it to the approbation and support of numerous body of our constituents. You hear this? In other words, 
not too happy about this Constitution unless they've got some other additional protections. They're not at all happy about it. <laughs> but of course, they also use this language. They've approved it ahead of time. So there's a lot of scammery there. But the fact that they released this shows how much the people they pretended to represent were extremely hesitant of what was going on here. Let's continue. We observe that amendments have been proposed and are anxiously desired by several estates as well as by this. And we think it of great importance that effectual measures be immediately taken for calling a convention to meet at a period not far remote, for we are convinced that the apprehensions and discontents which those articles occasion cannot be removed or allayed unless an act to provide for it be among the first that shall be passed by the new Congress. You got that? So the people are very concerned about several sections of the Constitution. Imagine a document with this much objection and question around it, the way it's presented today. <laughs> it's as though all the stuff was resolved and the people are happy and they ratified and blah, blah, blah. Give me a break. I already told you how jacked up that whole ratification vote was. And I hope and suggest people go investigate it and they can see what a joke it is. Virtually no records around. It could be so much corruption in it. Just an absurd amount of corruption in the ratification vote. But here we are. They're very specifically making it clear that representatives in New York have problems. And they have a lot of pressure, obviously, being applied to them to not agree to it. Let's continue. In the Maryland Convention, numerous amendments were proposed and 13 were agreed to. Most of them by unanimous vote and all by a great majority. Fifteen others were proposed, but there was so much disagreement in regard to them that none at all were formally recommended to Congress. Does this in any way conform to your view of the way they teach about the Constitution? All this disagreement. There's no supermajority required. It's the most rigged up scam, people. It really is. Let's continue what he says. All the members who voted for the ratification of the Constitution declared that they would engage themselves under every tie of honor to support the amendments they had agreed to, but both in their public and private characters until they should become a part of the general government. In other words, these guys had to promise and swear back when there was dueling and you could get killed that they would try to do it. Let's see what North Carolina said about it. The first North Carolina Convention refused to ratify the Constitution and resolved that a declaration of rights asserting and securing from encroachments the great principles of civil and religious liberty and the inalienable rights of the people together with amendments to the most ambiguous and exceptional parts of the said Constitution of Government ought to be laid before Congress. And the Convention of States that shall or may be called for the purpose of amending the said Constitution for their consideration, previous to the ratification of the Constitution aforesaid on the part of the state of North Carolina. Does that sound like people who are ready to give it up and had broad discretion this, and unquestionable authority that, the government, broad implied powers, obviously, and sovereign this? <laughs> it doesn't. This is the scam. Imagine if people were told this stuff. And given this frame of reference, all of the lies the con-cons tell, the implication that some freedom machine, let's continue this, the South Carolina Convention that ratified the Constitution proposed certain amendments and resolved that it be a standing instruction to all such delegates as may hereafter be elected to represent the state and the general government 
to exert their utmost abilities and influence to effect an alteration of the Constitution conformably to the foregoing resolutions. In other words, we don't trust this document. We need all these limitations. They got the first eight amendments, then they had the ninth and tenth as cleanup amendments, and guess what? All that crap is just ignored, swept away. There's no discussion in here. You think the people in here with these kinds of objections and concerns would have agreed to some unelected star chamber just taking their rights and issuing edicts that they then must follow for the rest of the time unless they can get 75% of the people this and the states that and all this other crap to get an amendment? They never would have agreed to any of that. That's why there's no discussion of the so-called power of the Supreme Court to issue an opinion and then we're all bound. That's why there's nothing like that in the Constitution. That's why there's nothing like that in the debates, because it's completely absurd. Nobody would have agreed to it. Nobody would have agreed to any of these powers that the government took. And you think these people who are this concerned, you think they gave up the right to secede? You've got to be kidding me. They didn't give that right up. They didn't see any necessity to spell it out in the document. What do you think the Ninth and Tenth Amendment are? That if it's not granted to the government, it's not given up specifically to them, then it's retained. Well, guess what? There's no word about secession in there. Therefore, it's retained by the people in the states to do it as they care to. This thing is there to serve the people, supposedly. It's supposed to be there to help, not to imprison everybody. And these people knew damn well. That one generation had absolutely no authority to bind another generation. Certainly not five, six, ten generations later. It's ludicrous. It's all completely ludicrous. And none of these issues are discussed because if they're ever discussed, then the fraud is so obvious. It's so stinking obvious. It could never be maintained. And that's why it's continued. Let's read a little bit more of this evidence in here. In the Pennsylvania Convention, numerous objections were made to the Constitution, but it does not appear that the Convention, as a convention, recommended any specific amendments. But a strong movement outside of the Convention was afterwards made in favor of such amendments. Well, I think we all know what's going on there, right? You've got these people who act just like the congressmen do now. You've got these huge portions of the population that want a ceasefire over there with Israel and Hamas. Okay, but can you get any support for it in Congress? No, you can't get any support for it in Congress. You think the people want to be taxed into oblivion? No, they don't. <laughs> Does it make any difference? No. People show all the time they don't want these central bank digital currencies. Does it make any difference? No, it moves forward. Was there any representation with regard to the COVID shot and the lockdowns? No, there wasn't. So this convention was just another one of these scams. and The people saw what was going on there and they got pissed and they were outside of it. Well, they just gotten through with a long, long fighting. They didn't want any more fighting. They were trying to reach agreements, have people be reasonable. <laughs> Let's listen to some more of this. This is so devastating, in my opinion, to the entire so-called con-con fantasy about this country and the Constitution. Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, legal man? <laughs> well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like.
The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now let's get back to the show. Well, they just gotten through with a long, long fighting. They didn't want any more fighting. They were trying to reach agreements, have people be reasonable. <laughs> let's listen to some more of this. This is so devastating, in my opinion, to the entire so-called con-con fantasy about this country and the Constitution. Of the debates in the Connecticut Convention, Elliot from Elliot's Debates, gives only what he calls a fragment. Of the debates in the conventions of New Jersey, Delaware, Georgia, Elliot gives no accounts at all. There you go. This is the same kind of thing I ran into trying to find out, well, what were the votes and how did they get and what happened? There's like no information. They didn't keep records for jack shit. I already told you about how they called the uh, militia out in Delaware because there's so many fights about it. They're breaking out about the corruption in the votes. <laughs> this is the way it is. This is... The cover-up of the January 6th, people walking around. The people were pissed. No records kept. It's a scam from the get-go. All right, let's, let's continue on here. I, therefore, cannot state the grounds on which the adoption of the Constitution was opposed. They were doubtless very similar to those in the other states. This is rendered morally certain by the fact that the amendments soon afterwards proposed by Congress were immediately ratified by all the states. <laughs> So they had to extract the ratification of the Constitution itself, but bam, instantaneous on the amendments. Hell yeah, they wanted to restrict it, limit it, set it all out. People were concerned, but they'd all are lied to like they're lied to every other time. Also, by the further fact that these states, by reason of the smallness of their representation in the popular branch of Congress, would naturally be even more jealous of their rights than the people of the larger states. Bingo! More evidence that secession was never given up. Of course they were concerned. They knew. The South had every right to secede. Every one of those states could leave. You can't keep the people in there against their will. There's nothing voluntary about that. That's not a freedom machine. It's all lunacy, people, what you're told by the con-cons. It's complete lunacy when it's evaluated outside of the liberal versus conservative nonsense. All they do is talk about the Marxist, Marxist, Marxist. I find it hilarious. I was hearing about how the TikTok thing about a letter to America from Osama bin Laden went viral. And of course, now TikTok's removed the hashtag. All those different publications are deleting all the ability to go find the letter and read it. When I was reading it, I hadn't read it again, shit, 15 years or something like that. When I read it again today, the page was freezing up and having problems again and again. I had to constantly reload the page. But that whole letter to America, because that letter sets out all sorts of reasons that are counter-narrative that you don't ever get from the liberal versus conservative. And it shows the country is just a bunch of hypocrites. The government's hypocrites. It's a, it's a murderous government. That whole war series proves it again and again. But this information here about the Constitution is also so incredibly helpful and important. Because it demonstrates that the overall narrative being given to people about the Constitution and how much people were on board, how fantastic it is in a freedom machine, it's all whitewashed into this very vague narrative that's totally and completely one-sided and inaccurate. It's completely inaccurate. And that's what I find to be the funniest part is that these constitutional conservatives in media and academia, they pretend to be the intellectuals. And they're not at all intellectuals. They're completely and totally fake intellectuals. 
It's totally and completely fake intellectuals. They're not legitimate. Now, it doesn't mean that the liberals are the intellectuals. That's the nature of an Overton window, that you're put inside a box that the argument appears to have a lot of validity. Conservatism makes a lot more sense than liberalism, but neither of them makes sense compared to the reality of a Spooner analysis. They both are blown up. But as long as you're not aware of that and or it's kookified, which they do all the time, well, then it seems real. And I heard some jokers on the radio talking about the Osama bin Laden thing going viral on TikTok. And I just found it hilarious because instead of actually reading any of the letter and explaining what's in the letter and defending what he says in the letter, all they do is just misrepresent it. And then talk about Marxism, terrorism, the dangers, defend Israel, of course, endlessly. This is always the same. This is the same kind of thing they do with the con-cons. They talk about other systems and how much worse they are and what a freedom machine this is. And we have the vote and the Constitution is a miracle document. They never look at the actual problems that I've told people about. They never actually look at those. And they can't because there is no answer to them. That's why they can never, ever, ever have any actual debate or discussion where these issues are raised because they have no answers to them. There's no way to explain how secession could not be allowed, how any free people would ever give that up doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And so it has to be ignored. And they have to talk about holding the union together, the fabulousness and all this other stupid crap and just deflect and confuse people. Right, I want to read a tiny bit more on the essay. It is especially worthy of notice that in some, if not all, in the conventions that ratify the Constitution, although the ratification accompanied by such urgent recommendations of amendments, and by almost absolute assurance that they would be made, it was nevertheless secured by only a very small majority. And this is another incredibly important point. I've listed it out before, I think, in my uh, essays, but I want to go through the votes because he lays them out. In Virginia, the vote was 89 yeses to 79 noes. Look how narrow that is. If you get five people to change places, it's a tie. You get six people to change and it no longer passes. That is completely absurd. The idea that that vote could ever be legitimate, no matter even if it was 100% pristine, is asinine. You cannot bring in an entirely new government based upon a vote that slim. But no supermajority was required. See, because if they required a supermajority, it never would have worked. In Massachusetts, the ratification was 187 yeas to 168 nays. <laughs> Look how narrow that is. It's completely ridiculous. In New York, the vote was 30 yeas, 27 nays. Listen to how fraudulent this is. There is absolutely no record of what went on, whether these people were bribed, none. And it still barely passed. <laughs> Look how absurd this is. In New Hampshire and Rhode Island, neither the yeas nor the nays are even given. In Connecticut, the yeas were 128. Nays not given. <laughs> this is the freedom machine you have, guys. In New Jersey, the yeas were 38. Nays not given. In Pennsylvania, the yeas were 46. Nays not given. How convenient, right? How convenient. In Delaware, 30 yeas. Nays not given. Maryland, 57 yeas, nays, not given. <laughs> In North Carolina, neither yeas nor nays given. South Carolina, neither yeas nor nays given. In Georgia, it's 26 yeas, nays, not given. <laughs>
I don't get it, people. How is that not all the evidence you need that this thing is a scam from day one? That's all you have to know. That they didn't keep very good records. The records we do have are not in any way consistent with a people approving of anything to create a whole new government. It's absurd. We can thus see by what meager votes the Constitution was adopted. We can also see that but for the prospect that important amendments would be made, especially for securing the natural rights of the people, the Constitution would have been spurned with contempt as it deserved to be. (laughs) So good. And this is the point that you look at this evidence. When you see this evidence, this is such a classic case of yeah, the plaintiff's case sounds great until the defendant's lawyer gets to stand up and make their case. And then it's like, well, shit, you left everything out. The old Rodney Dangerfield and back to school, you left a lot of stuff out. Imagine if this information was widely known. How could you ever pull off this con-con nonsense, the brainwashing, the fairy tales, the freedom machine, all of it? It's just lies from top to bottom. Look at the way government operates today. Look at how corrupt it is. Now stop putting into your mind the fantasy that it was so fantastic in the past and imagine that it simply operated like this forever. Now you have a much more accurate picture of what the government is. A corrupt machine to steal shit from you. That's it. It's always acted in the same corrupt manner. That's why people have discussed the corruption in government forever. (laughs) That's why. And that fairy tale about this this idyllic time a few decades ago or during Reagan or in the 50s or in the 30s or in the 20s and the fucking 19th century and the early 19th century at the time the Constitution was... It doesn't matter what time period you pull up. It's always been corrupt. It's always been exactly what you see now. That's what it's always been or worse. It's not gotten worse. It's always been like this. This is the fraud that's perpetrated on people. This is how they get people to support the government. They lie to them night and day with a multi-billion dollar industry from cradle to grave telling them fairy tales about the government and what a fantastic freedom machine is. (laughs) That's the problem. So that's all I'm going to read on it today. We've got some more stuff. We're really close to the end of the essay, but Hopefully people are understanding how great this essay is and why it's so important. And I I hope people get something from it. I know that's a little bit different kind of version of the essay. I had to go through different listings and a lot of repetition in the wording and things like that. But I strongly encourage people to pick the essay up and look at it and read it. And I want to give a little bit additional flushing out of the vote count. I don't claim to be a historian expert, but I can sniff out bullshit when I see it. And there were a lot of them in there where the nays weren't given. And it's true that in some of those, they were actually unanimous, at least supposedly unanimous votes. And that's why they're not given. But in his list, there are nine states where there are no nays given. And several of them where there are no yays or nays given in that record. And yeah, you can go dig it out. But Apparently, there were only three states that were actually unanimously ratified, at least even allegedly. And Georgia was one of them. And what I wanted to do is give you an idea of just how phony and baloney this entire thing was when it comes to ratification. So I'm going to give you just a brief amount about Georgia 
and the way it supposedly ratified the Constitution. I'm using the University of Georgia Press information about it, which I will, of course, attach. And I'm only reading part of it. But I want to give you a flavor for the insanity that was going on, how rapidly this all happened, and the number of votes that were even allegedly cast, just to give you an idea of how much nonsense this whole vote is. And first of all, it says that Georgia was the fourth state to ratify the Constitution after its submission to the states, and it was only one of three to ratify unanimously. Georgia did act very rapidly, considering that the Philadelphia Convention had been adjourned for almost a month before a copy of the Constitution was received in Georgia. They had the vote to elect the people to then go to the convention, to then to decide if they want to ratify in December. And <laughs> this part is what's so funny to me because there were a total of 11 districts that they drew up in Georgia, which had a large population. And they were only going to elect three people from each one. So there were going to be 33 people that were going to be sent total to even vote on whether Georgia was going to agree to this. And of course, all 33 didn't even go. Only 26 even went. So this is another example of this ridiculousness. You got 26 people going up here to vote. And what kind of votes did each one of these people get to even go up there to represent them? And I pulled up a document from this site called Teaching American History, and it gives the different votes county by county in different areas that appeared in newspapers and other things. And I'm going to attach it, but you can see that six of the delegates that were elected, they list them out. Edward Telfar, George Walton, Henry Todd, William Stevens, Esquire, Colonel Joseph Haversham, and Thomas Gibson Sr., Esquire. And they give their votes out to the right. Edward Telfair, 270 votes. <laughs> 270 votes. George Walton, 128. Henry Todd, 166. William Stevens, Esquire, 272 votes. Colonel Joseph Haversham, 251 votes. Thomas Gibbons Sr., Esquire, 124 votes. <laughs> 124 votes. So there's your, there's your incredible, overwhelming desire of the people to have this. So now I want to give you a little idea of just how ridiculous this vote was in Georgia and in all likelihood in all these states. Here's how the UGA Press describes the process and vote on it which you now know how many people were voting for each one of these so-called representatives to go up there at the end of November and early December. It says Pierce and Few, who were their representatives, returned to Congress and were present when it voted to send the proposed Constitution to the states. Pierce sailed for Savannah about a week after Congress's action and brought a copy of the new Constitution with him. He arrived in Savannah on October 10th and three days later, the Constitution was first published in the Georgia State Gazette. So October 13th is the first time anybody could have seen it. Within a week, the Assembly met in Augusta in a special session to consider the Indian troubles and called for the selection of a ratifying convention and the winter election. So October 13th, it arrives in the state. Within a week, they're calling for a special session. The elections occur about six weeks, seven weeks later. And you heard how many kind of votes they got. <laughs> this is how much time to 
consider anything? How could anybody really be represented in anything this ridiculous? You have to be kidding me. And here's what else it says. The convention, which means this convention to ratify, began its work on Friday, December 28th, with 24 delegates present from 10 of the state's 11 counties. In other words, they're supposed to have 33 people and only 24 even show up there on the 28th of December. Most of the delegates had been prominent during the revolution, but there were a few of those who were only participation in Georgia politics as members of the convention. In other words, they were just brought in. These were just political people shoved in there by Federalists. The proposed constitution was debated in the convention on Saturday, December 29th. You got that? So 24 guys arrive on the 28th. They have the debate on the 29th, and it's unanimously ratified on Monday morning, the 31st. <laughs> so you arrive, you go, you have a, a maybe a day worth of uh, so-called debate. You come back on Monday, and you vote unanimously to approve it. Two days later, the formal ratification and signing by the 26 delegates present took place. In other words... We don't even know if the 26 were present at the uh, debate because only 24 are shown. <laughs> and if you think this is somehow unusual, you need to go look and see what happened in Pennsylvania. You'll see the same kind of rigged up stuff. Are you understanding now? This is what I'm talking about. This is the fraud that the entire ratification process was. Anybody who thinks that's a reasonable way for the thing to work is just living in a dreamland. Just a total dreamland. It's utterly ridiculous to imagine anything like that could work. <laughs> uh, whatever. I didn't expect to get so worked up about it, but it's just all so phony, man. It's just so phony. Every time I reread any of this stuff, I just think, I don't understand how people can be this blind after 25 years of the internet. It's just amazing to me. All the crazy stuff that happens, all the stuff they live through. That they, each time they continue to believe that somehow this is an exception and amazing, and, which is one vote away. This guy, if we just get rid of him and get back to some wonderful thing. None of that's true. There's no evidence for any of it. It's a total fairy tale. Still, the people buy it. The desire to believe, so great. The cognitive distance, so great. The fear of a uh, situation out of control. It's just too scary to the vast majority of people. We're never going to reach the vast majority of people. I make these shows so the people who care and who can handle the truth, which is a very small group, can see the truth and really have a full understanding in case anybody ever comes up and makes some argument maybe you never heard of and think, well, maybe I wasn't right. No, you were right. <laughs> you were right. I've heard every kind of argument. They're all bullshit. None of them work. Spooner's right. I'm right. Whatever you're thinking about this, if it's along the lines that it's complete shit, you're right. It is. 100%. You don't have to go digging into their records. Whatever you suspect, kind of trickery and scammery, it's in there. Trust me. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's all I wanted to say about it today. I want to thank everybody in Patreon who supports my show. I haven't quite decided what I'm going to add to after I finish this Spooner. I think I probably will do his Vices Are Not Crimes, even though it's a very odd essay to have to do. I think it's a very important message. And I've got a couple other things I'm going to do as well. At least I'm percolating on doing. But I appreciate you guys because it's nice to have other people out there who get it and who are willing to chip some skin in the game. Because I spent a lot of time doing this and I spent a lot of time getting this information and... 
it's very valuable for all the reasons I've told you in the past that you can avoid the dangers of waking up in the wrong order. So thank you guys. And if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter. I'm Legal Man at US Crime Review. And thank you to everybody who supports the movie Jones Plantation. I really appreciate you guys. Go to jonesplantationfilm.com if you haven't already. Buy the movie, buy gift certificates, buy some merchandise, watch a movie, try to get some other people to watch a movie. If we can make that movie, make some money, we can make more movies. And they're a great way to reach people because people won't listen to my podcast. They're never going to listen to my podcast. It's way too black-pilled. But we can break them in with something like Jones Plantation. So let's hope we can get that thing to go viral at some point. And thank you to anybody who does support that project. And beyond that, I don't think there's anything else to say, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. You guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice night or day, wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Let's put your hands together one more time for Legal Man.